0: Hello and welcome to Homegrown KC, a podcast dedicated to exploring Kansas City's fascinating history and sharing stories from a church past. I'm your host, Laura. Join me today as we explore a piece of Kansas City's history. Hello, y'all. It's finally April. Speaking of, my grandmother pranked me yesterday, so she sent me a text mid-afternoon. I didn't see it for several hours, but when I finally looked at it, it looked like a news report saying that Kelsey had requested to become a free agent like Hill and was going to leave the Chiefs. And y'all, I was so pissed when I saw that. (laughs) Because except for Mahomes and Kelsey, we have lost or traded away every single one of my favorite players in the last few weeks. And I was just like, without Kelsey, we are screwed. Like, I can't believe this is happening. I was uh, actually on the phone with her when it happened. And of course, she thought it was hilarious. It's not funny. It's still not funny. Anyway, um, happy... Ramadan Mubarak to any uh, of my Muslim listeners March uh, 31st, this past Wednesday, just a couple days ago, was International Transvisibility Day so wanted to say trans men are men, trans women are women, and trans rights are human rights and lastly all of my love and support to the people of Ukraine Oh, uh, let's try that again Special welcome to any of you who are new out there. You have chosen a good time to check out this podcast because this is the start of a brand new series, which I am calling People of the Island. And that is what the Windots call themselves. It's what their name means in their language. Um, I also want to note here that according to the Windot Nation's official website, their traditional tribal name for themselves is Windet or Wandet. And Wyandotte is the English version of it. But I'm going to stick with Wyandotte throughout this series because that's what they go by now. And I also want to make clear that these episodes should in no way whatsoever be considered a definitive history of these people. I am not an authority on Wyandotte history. They are their own authority. But now that I have a platform and a voice, it's important for me to reach out and lift up voices of marginalized groups. Especially if they're already... Um, have a platform and a voice of their own which in this case they do and so I was able to offer them the microphone um, and I spoke with second chief Louis Libby of the Wyandotte Nation of Kansas that was an amazing conversation right now that's only available at patron listeners they're getting access to it early but it will be available to everyone in a few weeks I'm thinking probably around June I'll release it There's also a content warning for the series. I'm not going to get graphic, but slavery, rape, war, genocide, and tangential subjects will be discussed, and that might be difficult for some. And there also might be mild swearing, just to let you know. Alright, all that said, this is topic one of series five, People of the Island, and the title of this episode is The Evil-isms. So let us begin. All right, so to discuss Wyandotte Nation history, you really need to discuss their interactions with European settlers and Americans. And to do that, you have to know why Europeans came and settled in America. And so as I was thinking about all that, I realized I actually have to go even further back in time to give you an overall history of Western civilizations interactions with multiple indigenous populations. So we are actually going to go all the way, 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 way back to the early 1st century CE in a region of the world known as the Near East or the Middle East. Uh, real quick, for those of you who don't know, CE stands for Common Era. Uh, it's basically everything from the beginning of the Roman Empire today, you know, thereabouts. Um, the counterpart is known as BCE, before Common Era. Um, so that would be everything pre-Roman era, so just like Egyptian and Greek and uh, further back with the Sumerians and then still further back with like the Indus Valley and Neanderthals and all that. That's all BCE. Um, you might know this as BC or AD. But historians really prefer to use CE and BCE because there aren't religious connotations with them as there are with the other two. I'm pretty sure other countries have ways of tracking these dates, but I don't know what they are. And it doesn't actually matter for this episode. So we're in the early first centuries of the Near East. It's like 5-600s um, okay, CE. And if you're looking at a modern map, this is Saudi Arabia, Iran, Turkmenistan, surrounding countries, etc. Running through this is something called the Silk Road, which might sound familiar to you. It's not a paved road, it's actually just a series of trails that the caravans use to reach from India, largely from India to Europe, but um, also from modern Beijing and Shanghai. And they go through these Middle Eastern countries, and then they go into Palestine, and then up into Turkey, and then they end up in Greece or Italy. And all of this trade going back and forth, they're carrying luxury goods from one end of the, at the time, known world to the other. Um, Lots of spices. Spices was a big thing back then. And since I love to cook, I I find that very fascinating. I love how people get so worked up over spices. (laughs) Because I kind of get it. Anyways, getting off topic. In the 600s and the 700s CE, Islamic religion and culture spreads from Saudi Arabia to the surrounding countries and then across North Africa and into Spain. So now the Silk Road is largely under Islamic control. Well, Western European powers like England and France are not liking this. So, from 1095 to 1291 we have the Crusades. There you go, I know you know what of the Crusades. Maybe you don't know exactly what they are. Um, there were eight, and I think most people generally only know of four, because the fourth one is the one with Richard the Lionheart. And I feel like pretty much everyone knows about Richard. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why we have the Crusades, but a lot of it is control of territory, money, and power. I'm not going to dive any further into that, Um There is a podcast on the Crusades, if that's your thing. So, European kings, they want control of this territory in the Silk Road again, so... And because they've built up their, their power based on the trade from the Silk Road. And when the Crusades officially ended, you know, Western Europe had not been the overall successor, but life went on. And this becomes the prelude to the Age of Exploration, or the Age of Discovery, which was from the 15th to the 18th century. And this part of world history is essential to our story. So to start with, the terms Age of Exploration and Age of Discovery are exceedingly Eurocentric. So Eurocentrism, which is the first of our evilisms, is, quote, centered on Europe and Europeans, considering Europe and Europeans as focal to world culture, history, economics, etc., or viewing everything through the lens of European values, attitudes, and interests, end quote. So, despite the words exploration and discovery, most of the goal behind these nautical journeys was, I mean, there was some scientific discovery desired, right? But again, most of it is money and power. We want resources. We want land and wealth. So because England, France, Spain, Portugal, and the Netherlands, if I remember correctly, um, have built their wealth on power and trade, and the Silk Road um, is no longer, or they think it's soon to be no longer a viable option. They're like, you know what? Let's just cut out the middleman. Let's go by water. Need the other direction. It'll it'll be faster because there's nothing there. They were so wrong. And during this period, that's when we see the start of the North Atlantic slave trade in the 16th century, because the Portuguese, instead of just, um, instead of just sailing west in order to come around to the other side of India and China, they're also like, hey, Islam is still in charge of North Africa and we've been fighting with them for a while. Head on is not working because we have the Mediterranean Sea right there in the middle and it's hard for us to attack them when when we have to cross the, the water. Let's sail down around and then come up behind them because it's just that little strip at the top of Africa. There's nothing else. And, of course, they keep sailing and they keep sailing and they find out that Africa is this giant-ass continents, um, continent Excuse me, in, um, in the mid-1400s. But even as they discovered land that they weren't aware of on this journey, and even though it was populated, they're like, Oh, wait, look at all this land. We need more land. This is great. And so they decide to settle there and then extract all those uh, resources from the land and send it back. To their homeland. And doesn't matter that people are already there because they're not white and they don't know about guns. We have guns. And they're not Christians. So obviously they're a little better than animals. We can just go ahead and subjugate and enslave them. That, that was their attitude. Listeners, this is called Empire Building, and the key through to Empire Building is colonization and imperialization. And this is really the main reason why I titled this episode Evil-isms. Because I'm going to argue that nine times out of ten, if you have a term that ends in ISM, especially if you're talking about in a historical context, this word defines something that's very, very bad. Now, of course, we know what racism is, prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism, ...directed toward a person or people on the basis of their membership to a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that is a minority or marginalized, or the belief that different races possess different characteristics, abilities, or qualities, especially so as to distinguish them as inferior or superior to another, which is a wholly false, utterly completely unscientific or biological actuality. There's one race, the human race... Ethnicity, national origin, and skin tone has nothing to do with race. You're a human or you're not a human. We're all humans. And we know what terrorism is. An unlawful use of violence or threats to intimidate or coerce a civilian population or government with the goal of furthering political, social, or ideological objectives. The state of fear and submission produced by terrorism. A terrorist method of governing or of refreshing sorry, of resisting a government or intimidation or coercion, coercion? I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, by instilling fear. So those two words, racism, terrorism, immediately recognizable in our modern word, right? Now the words, actions, even thoughts that count as such are debated nearly every day. But these two uh, also play in a role in our story because they're tools of colonialism and imperialism. So imperialism is, quote, a policy of extending a country's power and influence through diplomacy or military force. End quote. Second quote. <laughs> um, I got this from two different sources, I think. Or state policy, practice, or advocacy of extending power and dominion, especially by a direct territorial acquisition or by gaining political and economic control of other areas. End quote. Colonialism is... Quote, "...the control or governing influence of a nation over a dependent country, territory, or people, the system or policy by which a nation maintains or advocates advocates for such control or influence." Quote. Likewise, there's also Orientalism, um, which used to be more widely used, but today it's really looked down upon because um, Edward Said, who was a scholar he used it to quote disparagingly refer to the allegedly simplistic stereotyped and demeaning concepts of arabs and asian culture end quote so that's bad we don't use orient orient or orientalism anymore all right now americans those of you who are listening i have a pretty good guess that when i said colonialism that first time ears pooped up because you're like oh colonialism that kind of sounds like colony Hey, America started off as colonies. And so if that's your thought, I hope you're not shaking your head saying, no, 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 no. We were good. You just said colonialism is bad, but we started off that way. That can't be right. No, I'm right. <laughs> um, you're probably also thinking, no, no, no. We started off as a, a refugee from religious persecution in England. Not bad imperialist stuff. Again, listeners, you're not right. I am right. King Charles I shipped Puritans to what eventually becomes the United States of America because they were Anglican. I'm oh, sorry, because he was Anglican and they were not. And they were just hella annoying to him and they were causing trouble. There was no, we need to escape persecution. There was, I need to get these people out of my country. Even before that, when... The Virginia Company was formed and then crossed the ocean to. um, That's like the John Smith from Pocahontas, okay? That's Virginia Company. They're seeking land and gold and other valuable resources to send back to England. That's all that they want. And of course, they find the land, but instead of gold, they find indigenous nations. And they began a very lengthy history of racism, discrimination, deceit, subjugation, war, and genocide. It's great. Uh, y'all know the tune. This is just is kind of furthering my point that I'm trying to get across. Y'all know the tune. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Well, Columbus was a straight-up douche. His own people didn't even like him. He and his men pillaged the villages they encountered, raped women. They purposely gave them blankets they knew were infected with smallpox and syphilis. Please note that while syphilis, while considered an STD, can be contracted through non-sexual means. Hence the blanket. Um, but again, there was a lot of rape. So a lot of syphilis was spread through rape. And he was following in his predecessor's footsteps. Um, I mean, consider Cortez. This is what he did to the Incas down in South America. So that's why we all want to see the name Columbus Day officially changed to Indigenous Peoples Day. So, President Biden, if you happen to hear me, 2022 would be a fantastic year for you to officially change the name of this federal holiday. All right. Um... Thank you. I'll get off my soapbox. Let's go back to King James and American colonization. So the charter for Virginia Company, uh, sorry, Virginia Colony, is signed in 1606, and Jamestown was established in 1607. That area was already inhabited by the Algonquin-speaking Native Americans, and the Natives and settlers clashed in a series of battles, naturally, just like Columbus had. And the Native Americans had no resistance to smallpox and other viruses carried by the Europeans, and so as more and more Europeans are coming and bringing more guns, there's more war, more death through war, just more death through contact in general from disease. And so they are just slowly, relentlessly getting pushed west into the territories of other nations. And this Western movement become extremely important in just a minute, but I wanted to give this, sadly, extremely simplified version of events for y'all. So we have the Revolutionary War and the establishment of the government of the United States of America in 1777. The federal government starts making treaties with Native Americans right away. In many of these cases, the treaties that they're getting tricked or bullied into signing basically say... This area now belongs to us. You could have this other land further west over here. Ignoring the fact that this land that they're pointing to is already also occupied. Or the treaty might say, okay, let's be friends. We can share it. There's plenty of space to go around. And we promise not to encroach on any more of your land. And then, of course, the U.S. government pretty much reneges on all of these agreements. Or common people are like, hey... I see that this is open, let me go settle here, knowing or not, probably knowing, that that's territory that belongs to a tribe, and then enough of them settle there that the government's just like, okay, fine, that's ours now. So much of that. In the early 1800s, so this is like 20, 30 years after the establishment of America, we have this concept of manifest destiny. And it's not an ism, but it totally should be because it's 100% rooted in imperialism. And it's just as bad as imperialism and colonialism. Let's not forget, by the way, that during all of this, all the colonization and the wars and battles between Americans and British and British and Native Americans and Native Americans, Engli- English, English. We have this massive multi-government sanctioned and enforced system of kidnapping, genocide, subjugation, and slavery supported by, quote, scientifically backed racism that's been going on for the past 300-ish years. Anyway, Manifest Destiny is, quote, The belief or doctrine held chiefly in the middle and later part of the 19th century that it was the destiny of the U.S. to expand its territory over the whole of North America and to extend and enhance its political, social, and economic influences, end quote. A.K.A., that sounds a lot like imperialism. So we have Western expansion, eventually resulting in the modern continental United States of America, but Manifest Destiny was 100% totally used to justify American annexation of Alaska and Hawaii, which Hawaii, most definitely, 100% should not be under American power. First of all, It was illegally taken from native Hawaiians who had a separate, sovereign, independent nation. Secondly, it's like way out in the middle of nowhere. It's nowhere close to us. Why do we have this? But all of this Western expansion, uh, you know, it's officially kickstarted. It's been going on, but it's really kickstarted with the purchase of uh, the Louisiana Purchase. Um, And even though, you know, it's, quote, purchased from France, they were also illegally claiming this land. They they didn't own it. It belonged to other people who were here first. (laughs) Swinging all the way back to the beginning when I mentioned Eurocentrism. Remember, Eurocentrism is centered on Europe and Europeans, considering Europe and Europeans as focal to world culture, history, economics, etc., or viewing everything through the lens of European values, attitudes, and interests. So, the War of Independence is over. Colonists, who are no longer British citizens, have established a government, system, uh, laws, etc. all of their own. They've created their own nation. But Americans, and by this I mean white folks, because um, if you were African or African-American... Good chances are you were enslaved, but there were some that were free. (laughs) Um, White folks, especially white men, they still had this mentality that their religion, culture, and values were the correct and true ones, and everyone else, namely natives, were misguided at best and not human at worst. And that's largely how they justified Western expansion and stealing land from occupied or that was occupied by other self-governing nations they have other justifications of course Uh, we need more room we need more resources we have a lot of people um you know it's it's for god it's my destiny most of it is wealth and power and racism but you know just like the eastern shore when they landed that was already occupied territory as they move westward, that land is already occupied. I cannot stress this enough. But we have our destiny, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Nobody, no. We're going to keep going. And with everyone pushing west into occupied territory, there's like near constant battles between settlers and various tribes. And even amongst various tribes because, you know, tribe A is getting pushed into the land of tribe B, and tribe B is like, hey, back off. Hence battle. All of this leads up to, and eventually gives us, Andrew Jackson, who is, to quote Queen's podcast, a wardic. He fought a shit-ton of battles and became president in 1829, and a year later he signed the Indian Removal Act of 1830. BTW, they called them Indians or American Indians because when they were originally sailing west to get to India and they thought they landed there they're like hey it's the indians no no you weren't in india where was i anyway yes so uh he he sends the indian removal act and it forces all of these tribes from their ancestral lands in the southeast to move into quote indian territory aka oklahoma um, the culmination of this is the Trail of Tears, which you probably have heard of. Thousands, thousands died on this journey. And the Trail of Tears was in, like, the 1840s, so this was a really long process, too. And this was the creation of reservations, actually. Quote, daily living on the reservations was hard at best. Not only had tribes lost their native lands, but it was almost impossible to maintain their culture and traditions inside a confined area. Feuding tribes were often thrown together, and Indians who were once hunters struggled to become farmers. Starvation was common, and living in close quarters hastened the spread of diseases brought by white settlers. Indians were encouraged or forced to wear non-Indian clothing and to learn to read and write English, sow, and raise livestock missionaries attempted to convert them to Christianity and give up their spiritual beliefs. End quote. So, this is a genocide against Native Americans. And it's not just the physical genocide, a.k.a. death. This is a cultural genocide. Example A, what I just said, reservations. Today, reservations are still really terrible. And there's multiple reasons for they've been... Compounding upon one another since 1830s, so that's, what, almost 200 years? I was reading that statistically, Native women are more likely to be sexually assaulted, kidnapped, and or murdered than any other ethnic group in America. Reservations still lack adequate housing and water. As for the water, I was looking at something, I don't remember where I found it. But it was a map that showed an outline of all the reservations. And like, I don't know, 80-90% of them are on land that doesn't have a river flowing through it. So like, yeah, of course it's hard for us to get good water. But I don't remember where that was because I didn't save it. Um, and school dropout rate is, like high school dropout rate is extremely high on reservations. And... The origin of all of these issues and more all starts with the Indian Removal Act of 1830. Example B, which I mentioned at the very end of that quote with the missionaries, example B is the Indian boarding schools and missions. Some of y'all thought that might have been just a Canadian thing. No, 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 no. Sadly not. Uh, This right here is some absolute bullshit history. Not that the rest of the historical events we've touched on so far have been rainbows and sunshine It's all been pretty much bullshit. But if you live in America or Canada, I am very certain that you heard all about the unmarked mass graves found at old Indian boarding schools in Canada over the past couple years, particularly about a year ago. If you live outside America or Canada, I don't know if you have heard of it or not, but uh, just Google it and you will find out. Well, uh, folks here in America saw what was going on, and so then the Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland, ordered, quote, a comprehensive review of the troubled legacy of federal boarding school policies, quote, in uh, June 2021. The results of this inquest have yet to be announced, but I am looking forward to seeing what they reveal, I guess. Kansas City has its own infamous mission, the Shawnee Indian Mission in Fairway, Kansas, I'm not going to dive into that right now. That's definitely going to be its own episode in another future series. Um, But if you live in this area, you have heard of it. And I bet a lot of you have been there at one time or another because I kind of think that they take school groups there. Casey and Lawrence area natives will also recognize the name Haskell Indian Nations University or Haskell University. Um, That began as a, quote, residential boarding school for Native Americans. I will give you a quick overall history right here um, about boarding schools and missions so that you really understand why I call it a cultural genocide. So they began in 1860, the boarding schools, missions actually go back further, and they lasted about 100 years. Children were forcibly taken from their homes and put into these, quote, schools, nowhere near their families, Given Anglo-American names, had their hair, if you're a girl, either cut short or if you're a boy, shaved. Forced to only speak English and punished harshly if they spoke in their native tongue. Taught to sew, cook, smith, or farm. additionally, native students were neglected and faced many forms of abuse, including physical, sexual, cultural, and spiritual. They were beaten, coerced into performing heavy labor. Their daily regimen consisted of several hours of marching and recreational time consisted of watching disturbing movies such as Cowboys and Indians. Since they were used as forms of punishment, food and medical attention were scarce. This led to boarding schools becoming more susceptible to infections and diseases like tuberculosis, the flu, and trachoma. End quote. This quote is from an article by the Indigenous Foundation. I'm going to have a link to their website and their Instagram on my website. I've been following their Instagram for some time, um, and I finally checked out their website when I was researching this. It's really fantastic. Very well thought out. Uh, Created all by natives, and it's all about native issues. So I highly recommend you all check that out. They also have a podcast, which I'm sorry to say I have yet to listen to, but it is on my list. All of those actions um, at at the boarding schools were done in order to forcibly assimilate the children into a white American culture. Assimilation is, quote, the process of assimilating, which is to, quote, absorb into the cultural tradition of a population or group or to make similar, end quote, end quote, Now, you can choose to assimilate into another culture. That's totally cool. Like, if I decide to up and move to France or China or South Africa, and I'm like, I'm diving deep. I live here now. This is me. I like I 100% think that you got, ought to adapt to local customs. Not that you're required to, but you ought to, and it's good if you do. But the idea that your culture or my culture is superior to anyone else's is just some national bullshit, and forcibly forcing that culture and assimilation onto others is a form of terrorism, which again, remember, is the unlawful use of violence or threats to intimidate or coerce the civilian population or government with the goal of furthering political, social, or ideological objectives. The state or f- fear and submission produced by terrorism a terrorist method of governing or of resisting a government or intimidation or coercion by instilling fear. Got all that. And that is the perfect segue actually into my final evilism for the day, nationalism. So the diehard Americans, y'all just screamed at me. Yes. I argue that nationalism is very, very bad. And I'm not the only one. First, I really want to make clear the distinction between nationalism and patriotism. I don't know about the rest of y'all and the rest of the world, but in America, they're pretty synonymous, and they're basically used interchangeably. But this is largely an error. Patriotism is, quote, devoted love, support, and defense of one's country, national loyalty, end quote. Meanwhile, nationalism is, quote, the policy or doctrine of asserting the interest of one's own nation viewed as separate from the interests of other nations or the common interest of all nations, end quote. So, the idea of nationalism first appeared in the 18th century and it was based on the premise that a nation ought to be formed of a single nationality, which is formed by a single ethnic group, sharing one's history, language, and culture. So basically, we're all the same. We're all one. And it was consistently, is still consistently used to justify acts of aggression, war, and genocide. The most famous case is probably World War II and the Holocaust. But you see, the thing is, ethnicity and culture, they're not fixed, static, unchanging things. They're constantly shifting and evolving. And We might both be American or French or Chinese, but our history, language, and culture can be, and a lot of the times are, wildly different based on the different parts of the country we live in. That is the end of today's episode. Thank you for joining me as we begin this series. I want to stress that this episode has been very big picture, very um, ideological based especially as it concerns American interactions with Native Americans. I will dive a little bit deeper into examples of these interactions and some of the treatings in the next episode, which I am titling The Long Journey. Um, And that episode will also provide an overview of the history of the Wyandotte Nation. If you listen all the way to the very, very end of this topic – You can hear a clip from my upcoming conversation with Chief Libby. So, sources. um, This is honestly mostly taken from my own knowledge of historical world events and from years of study. All of my um, term definitions came from the Encyclopedia Britannica or from the Dictionary. Other sources included the Indigenous Foundation and History.com. And like I said, I'll have links for Indigenous Foundation on my website. There's another podcast, actually, while I'm thinking about this, that I just found um, and I've been listening to. It's really good so far. It's called This Land. And it's about the Cherokee, but a lot of the issues. overlap, so I also recommend you all check out that one, and I'll have a link to that on my website. I'm going to have a booth at the first history, uh, first city history festival in Loverworth, Kansas, on Saturday, April 30th, so 28 days. There's a countdown going. I'm really excited. All the museums in the area are going to booth. There's going to be vendors, food trucks, music, contests. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you live in the area, please come check it out, and uh, if you come, you know, stop by, say hi to me. I also hope that you'll consider becoming a financial porter of the show. There are several ways you can do so. You can subscribe to patreon.com slash kc or redcircle.com slash Uh or you can give a one-time donation at redcircle.com slash homegrownkc or koficom ficom homegrown homegrownkc That's ko-fi.com You can give as little or as much as you want. If you become a monthly supporter, you get three things. One, you get an item from the merchandise store valued at $5 or less. You get a shout-out on every episode. Thank you, Bjorn and Joan, for your continued support. And you get access to exclusive bonus episodes featuring other local historians, archivists, and museum experts. So like this one with Chief Libby, This would typically be a Patreon episode, but it was really important to me to share it with everyone, so patrons are getting it earlier. If you give a one-time donation, you don't get access to the extra episodes, and you don't get an item for the merchandise store, but I will give you a shout-out. And of all the donations given on Ko-Fi, 1% automatically go to help fight climate change, which I'm excited about. If you can't support me monetarily, which is totally cool... I I get you. You can still support me by following and subscribing to my Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube channel. Make sure to rate and review me on Apple podcasts or Facebook. Tell your friends about me. Just all the stuff. You can visit my website for additional information. That's homegrownkc.wordpress.com. And you can sign up for my newsletter there. You'll get something once a month that says, Hey, here's what's going on with the show. I'm not going to spam you every day, so don't worry about that. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or episode suggestions, you can email me at homegrown KC podcast at gmail.com or you can DM me on any of my social networks. For merchandise, go to Zazzle.com slash store slash homegrown underscore KC underscore store. That's Z A Z Z L E dot com slash store slash homegrown underscore KC underscore store. There's also a link on my Facebook, and on my website. Thank you goes out to my talented sister-in-law, Sarah McCombs, for the creation of my logo, to the Dear Mrs. for the use of their song, Kansas City, as the intro and outro music of the show, and to local libraries, which enable me to gather all my research. Thanks for listening, y'all. Cheers. And, and then after the war, it. just nobody came back?
1: Um, there were some people there that stayed. Um, like I said, there were, um, I don't know if it was 14, 17 families that that stayed. And still at to this day, there's, oh, I think maybe five families that are still there, um, the generations um, Anthony Hope, who I mentioned, he's fifth generation um, freed slave and they're still there. Their family is. And one interesting um, fact when they would come across the river, they were afraid to because um, their masters and everyone said, don't go over there because there's Indians and they're savages and they'll kill you and all these horrible things. Well, Anthony's um, brother Jesse um, he would tell us that um, the Wyandot greeted them and said that we, they were people of the earth just like us and then they would take them in and then we would we would hide them from those that were coming and then help them also along with with other people in the town To get them on their way on the Underground Railroad, which is a big sense of of pride um, for us as as Wyandots, but just as people that we were part of some history that was so, so important um, at the time.
0: Well, so that um, kind of is related to my other question is, do you know, and if you don't, it's totally fine. I don't expect you to know every question I answer. Question I asked, but do you know if um, there were any raids conducted in the Quindera area because they were housing runaway slaves?
1: Um, I I don't know of like a formal raid into the town. Um, what I've heard is that the um, just the the slave masters would would send out people that were looking. that that the slave masters would, would send people out to, to find them. And from the stories and things that we've told all the people that come through um, seeking freedom, only one person was ever caught. Oh, okay. Taken back. So some could go on um, the railroad up into Lawrence, but a lot of people we could get out and, they could go up north through, um,